Hi, this is Maria Liberati, and you are listening to The Maria Liberati Show. You can also find me at marialiberati.com. I know we're all staying at home and doing our best to stay healthy and sane while whiling away our stay-at-home hours. But besides being a chef and author, I am a travel writer and blogger, and it's really hard to keep my feet on the ground. So my solace comes in the form of traveling through memories and reliving great experiences. This time, I'd like to take you on a trip to Italy to have some great coffee with me. And to help me do that, my guests today are Simonetta Lean, who is originally from Italy, but she's joining me in Philly. She is one of the world's top fashion influencers, and she's joining me to tell us about the fashionality of coffee. Also joining me is Philip Dobard in Los Angeles, who's from the LA Food and Drink Museum. Upon arising in Italy, thoughts of cappuccino and cornetti flood my mind, and when my feet hit the ground, it's running for my first steamy hot cappuccino and freshly made cornetto. Nothing gives you a jolt and wakes up your taste buds like a freshly made Italian breakfast. For those of you that have no idea what a cornetto is, it is the Italian version of a croissant or a brioche. So the cornetto was first served with coffee in Vienna, but there it was called a kiffler, and that type of pastry quickly spread throughout Europe. It became a croissant in France and a cornetto in Italy. Now, if you want to do a simpler old world breakfast, the original one my grandparents used to do, take a slice of crusty day old Italian bread, tear it into cubes, toast it in the broiler till golden and crispy, place in a large coffee cup, sprinkle with sugar, pour in coffee, then pour in hot boiling milk, enjoy. Coffee has been part of my life for almost as long as I can remember. While living in Italy, I became so absolutely obsessed with making a great cup of coffee, be it a short espresso or a cappuccino. Part of my daily rituals, morning, mid-morning, after lunch, after dinner, it's really quite fashionable there also. So partaking in a cup of coffee means more than just drinking a beverage. But did you know that here in the USA, on a daily basis, 64% of Americans say they drink at least one cup of coffee a day. A smaller percentage, 26% of adults say they drink only one cup, while 11% down at least four cups of coffee on a daily basis. But drinking coffee midday does have a beneficial effect. A coffee break between work has an effect on efficiency, job satisfaction, and of course, drinking coffee can build the company image too among employees and guests. I love the fact that many countries have their own coffee habits, culture, and brewing methods. And you can actually discover a lot about a country through tracking its coffee culture. And think about the different culture that each country exhibits through their different types of coffee. Today, I am so excited. I have Simonetta Lean as a special guest, and she is one of the top 100 fashion influencers in the world. She's an author, an entrepreneur, a top model, and she is so influential in the fashion world right now. So she makes an excellent guest for our coffee episode and finding out the fashionality of coffee. Welcome, Simonetta. Thanks so much for joining us. But thank you. Thank you so much. And by the way, we're both in Philadelphia. So I yes, think we, we should say that. Yes, <laughs> yes. We are both in Philly. So yes, definitely. Simonetta, walk us through your journey from Italy to here to Philly. Myself coming from, uh, you know, a Philadelphia Italian market baby background, which I consider yeah. myself because I used to go shopping with my grandparents in the Italian market for Sunday dinner. I'm interested in learning also what took you from Italy to Philadelphia. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So my husband 
is uh, originally, uh, it was born in, in America, but his um, relatives uh, were in, in Italy. I will say 15 years ago, he just decided, okay, let me just go and, you know, re-meet my relatives that are in Italy and let me relearn Italian. That is actually how we met. He thought that he was staying a couple of months and he oh. stayed almost 12 years, <laughs> basically. <laughs> so that is, of course, one of the biggest motivation. We actually had a very uh, nice life in Italy. Uh, we were living in Milan for, for many, many years together. And then we just said, okay, let's try, uh, you know, to uh, kind of go and, you know, to the other side of the ocean in America, we have yes. my, my in-laws, my mother and father-in-law, they, um, they live in New Jersey. And so we said, okay, let's, let, you know, let's try. And Philadelphia, you know, a strange way came into our lives. We really didn't have anybody in the city. Uh, we just really fell in love with the city. We met an Italian woman. She has a bed and breakfast in actually Germantown, which is uh, for people that are not from uh, from Philadelphia is a uh, maybe you can call it a neighborhood of Philadelphia. I mean, it's technically Philadelphia is just a little bit, you know, outside and there are these beautiful uh, mansions and these beautiful, you know, Victorian houses. And that is actually where we started our journey in Philadelphia. We, I really like that, uh, the architecture and the history. And so we ended up in, you know, this beautiful, again, Victoria House, a Victorian house. And, and she is originally from Rome. And she started, you know, telling us all about her life in, in Philadelphia and, you know, how much actually the Italian heritage was, you know, uh, important in the city and you will like it and take a look and really we, we just started chit-chatting about it and after six months we found each other like looking at each other say okay maybe we are buying something and that's actually what happened that a friend of ours a realtor that was um, you know actually introduced to us from one of this uh, you know from this lady actually he called us we were in Italy and he said are you ready to change your life and we're like, what are you talking about? And he said that there was this beautiful house and actually in a beautiful neighborhood in, in Philadelphia. Uh, and it was available and it was a great deal. And again, we, we were like, okay, let's go. We really wow. literally, I don't know, felt our guts. We love yes. the house. It's a beautiful um, uh, the style is actually called French eclectic. So it's, yes. you know, in, in schist for yes. people that are, again, not from Philly. They don't yes. understand the beauty of schist. It's, you know, yeah. typical, a stone from Philadelphia. So these houses are, yes. you know, uh, they are fresh during the summer and, you know, warm during the winter and yes. the style is beautiful. And I have, you know, beautiful land, beautiful history. I mean, in my yes. backyard, I can look at the, actually this back lane where uh, George Washington used to march and yes. I have the Grace Kelly's house that is you know one of my neighbors and yes. uh, you know on the other side is where Frank Sinatra got married so as an Italian yes. I felt so much history and yes. I fell in love and we decided to stay <laughs> yes so you know what I just have to make a comment I am so happy to hear you say all that because that is the exact way that I feel about Philly and I appreciate all this stuff that's that you all the things you said and more there's so much history and the architecture and the art yes. and i always have felt a lot of people that have lived here all their lives they just take everything for granted they don't realize Absolutely. it and you know i feel that my living in italy actually when i came back i it helped me to really take notice and appreciate more the architecture and all the history and things like that because people in italy always talk about our city as well so it's so nice and refreshing to hear you because you feel the way I do and I've rarely heard that except you know in Italy so I think that's really yeah. special but what took your career here uh, again uh in a way it was really a decision between my husband and I mm -hmm. to really uh, again to change our lives and then yeah. of course with my life my career came with me so yes. I came here that I was uh, definitely, of course, a lot of people ask me, I mean, did you start everything here? I said, no, I was already working for Vanity Fair in Italy. At that point, I published one of uh, my first book for one of the biggest publishing house in the world, actually, which is Mondadori. Um, yes. I was working in television. I was doing a lot of stuff. So, of course, also my social media started from, I would say, a, a good point. It's just that 
when I came here, I, of course, moved everything into English because I yeah. often joke that I was doing it in Italian. So wow. I moved everything into English. Then again, it was kind of maybe a combination of things I always explain to people that many times, I mean, when you are Italian and you come to America and you have, of course, that Italian style that to me, it's, you know, um, timeless and classy, you know, yes. people immediately recognize it. And on the same way, of course, if you are in America, Italians, you know, start looking at you like, oh, you're cool. You know, you're in America. <laughs> so in a way, yes. it was a kind of a combo that worked out. Plus, um, eventually all the charity work that actually I've started here in Philly. Um, I was really backed by the city. The city really helped me. So, um, oh, you know, my work together between, again, uh, charity and fashion uh, really worked out. And so my social media really start to, started to kind of explode and, you know, became big. And so, again, my, my career came, like I said, with me. Of course, it was a motivation, the idea to come to America, because, yes. I, I mean, America is still the center of the world. And yes. so for everything you do, you know, right, for, for your career, of course, it was kind of, a, uh, it was calling me. I remember the first time I came to New York and I started to see all those, you know, beautiful different races, uh, yes. you know, all together. And the idea that if you see, for instance, a uh, 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 Asian person, you immediately think that that Asian person is American or a Russian yes. person that is a Russian American. It's a beautiful feeling. So I felt immediately American, even if, of course, I'm proud of my roots, but it's something that I've never felt, you know, in Europe. It's just something that you feel when you experience, you know, the beauty of the American, American culture. And I, I, I felt like, you know, that my soul was I had more space, you know, it's yes. this way. And so also my career. And I said, let's try. And then again, you know, different motivation with my husband. We said, let's try. And then things, you know, start to kind of work out for the best. Yes. And, and, you know, the other thing is, and I think people are finding that now with everything that's going on and everybody having to bring things in the virtual world, with yes. you, a lot of what you were doing is in the virtual world. I mean, really, yes. you can be anywhere, but I think it's, and you probably will agree with me, that it's a plus that you're in a, a great city. Philly has a lot of that, what we were just talking about, architecture and, and fashion, and it's inspiring, too. There's a lot of good food and, you know, the fashion and style. They're really into style and, you know, especially where you're at, you're next to near Grace Kelly's house, and that whole yes. area has so much history so probably yeah. for you it's still inspiring but you're probably Absolutely. able to to locate anywhere in the world because you're a lot of the things you do are online and uh communication that's very true i i could definitely work from everywhere in the world but a lot of people ask me why philly and again i gave you so many uh you know answers it's just a yes. city and then like i like i said i mean i live 10 minutes far from center center city yes. if i need to go I'll go in 10 minutes, but I look outside and I see birds and I see trees and I yes. see, you know, calm and quiet. Yes, it's yes. pretty priceless, you know. It's very yes. different. I mean, it's, I, I would say, kind of unique to find a big city because it's still the fourth largest city in America to have this, yes. you know, type of vibe, you know, that again, yes. if I need to be at the airport, like 20 minutes, I'm at the airport. I can travel everywhere. It's very convenient. Exactly. That's exactly the way I feel. That's great. Well, I'm, you know, glad, glad to hear that and glad to hear you're enjoying um, Philly because, like I said, it's my hometown and I really love it. Today's episode is about coffee. And as you know, yes. um, it's really coffee is such a huge part of the regular Italian day in Italy. But I wanted to specifically True. ask you about because you're such a fashion expert and, and looked upon for your influence in the fashion world this fashionality of coffee i don't think people here in the us really understand there's it's there's a fashionality to coffee and going to a coffee bar in italy so what i wanted to ask you is maybe being an italian if you can tell us you know what would you say what are the biggest things you would say that differentiate the italian coffee experience from something you would get here in the usa definitely so the idea that i've never 
found it. It's not that I've never found it, but I would say that it's more difficult to find here in America is the, like you were talking about the experience of the coffee. So you go and you really sit and you get, you know, something to eat with your coffee, something like here. It's, you know, it's very, everything is very fast, you know, so you get your coffee to go and you leave And uh, it's not that that culture does not exist in Italy. Sometimes, first of all, the coffee, of course, it's different. We don't have, you know, the American coffee. We have the espresso. So it's, you know, sometimes you find, especially in the early morning, people that just go at the bar and get an espresso and they drink and they go. That, of course, does exist. But that is one part of the culture. What I, again, remember about Italy and, you know, the way that I was raised, it was, I remember my grandmother taking me to, you know, a nice cafeteria and, you know, you have to, again, to kind of dress up a little bit and, you know, you go there and at that time, of course, she was getting coffee, I was getting tea, I was a child, but, you know, with a little, a little bit of a, you know, sweet or a cake together, it's the entire, you know, experience, even when um, we were live in, and we were living in Milan, Again, okay, you want to meet for, I don't know, even to talk about work or whatever. You go to the cafeteria and again, you dress up, you sit down, you order, you talk, you stay, you know, you enjoy. So it's all that part that it's uh, that it's actually very interesting and it's part of the definitely the Italian culture. Even when I go out and, you know, for regular dinner, for instance, I have this, you know, kind of culture of staying and, you know, taking time. Americans usually are quicker because, again, yes. they start from their coffee culture and, you know, <laughs> take it and go. Yes. So if we can, you know, take something from the Italian culture, it will be definitely, you know, a, a little bit the idea of, again, dressing up a little bit. And, you know, the coffee moment, it's, you know, a sociable moment. It's not just, you know, it's something that... um Again, as Italians, we live maybe in a, in a different way. It's a way of really talking and, like I would say, socializing and also close deals and, you know, talk about even important things many times. Yes. Yes. It's a whole, I think it's a whole ritual. And I just love yes. the way that, you know, it's, it's an experience. So here where you just, as you said, you go, you know, to a quick place, you just grab a cup of coffee and you drink it in the car going to wherever you're going to. Whereas uh, just as yes. you said, I love in Italy, just going to a coffee bar on a lazy Sunday because you get dressed up. It's an experience. Get dressed up. Just as you said, go to the coffee bar and getting a pastry with coffee. It's usually served on these beautiful plates and cups and things like that. And there's usually a lot of history to some of the coffee bars, correct? Places that famous artists and you know, um, photographers and all. Um, I, I know I love going to Cafe Greco in Rome because of all oh, the history around, right? And you, you think of all the writers and artists that created all these masterpieces there. So yes, I wanted to, I just wanted to hear that from you. I wanted our audience to hear that because I, I don't think they realize what an experience it is to have a cup of coffee and you just take the time to do that. So thanks for that. And tell us, because people don't realize, but a cappuccino when are you supposed yeah. i mean the fashionable way to drink it in italy is when <laughs> in the when. morning exactly <laughs> and what happens so. if you drink it in the afternoon or like at night i i usually <laughs> i mean listen you can do it like for instance if you go out i don't know maybe with your friends again you go out, you dress up, you can have a cappuccino and again, uh, maybe a piece of cake or, you know, dessert or something. You can have it in, in maybe in the afternoon, but before dinner. The yes. main thing is that in Italy, again, it's morning, you have your cappuccino. When you go to the bar, usually you order cappuccino and brioche, you know, which is, uh, I mean, uh, how can you d- translate the brioche that we have in well, Italy? Because we, you don't uh, really find that croissant. No. You know, well, do they... Okay, is this in Milan? Because where I was, where I've lived, and where my family's from, we call it cornetto. Do you know what the cornetto? Cor- yes, of course. Yes. Of course. So a brioche. <laughs> I guess you could call. I was just wondering because you know, in Milan, maybe they do call it. And I've not been to Milan a brioche. whole lot. They call it brioche. It's in the croissant, of course. Yes, it's but it's a, you know, it's no. I was just going to say it's it, yeah. it, it's croissant. You were saying we could compare. I it's guess a, would you would you say croissant? Croissant. I would say yes, and then. 
of course, uh, you know, for instance, in the especially in the south of Italy, they love their Nutella inside their, you know, yes. croissant. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> Cappuccino oh, and croissant with Nutella. Oh, my but, but again, um, I don't judge if you guys like it, you know, after your dinner, do whatever you want. It's just, I, I just want to say it, it's not Italian. If they come and tell you that there is something that Italians do, we do not do that. <laughs> exactly. And I was just kind of joking, but I just wanted to say too, if you go to a car, if you want to look like a non-tourist, the thing that will give you away, the reason I was asking is if you order a cappuccino with your dinner, that will definitely give you away as a tourist, correct? Yes. 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 Will, Please. If you go to Italy, don't do that. Yes. Maybe because, you know. Italians, they, I mean, they appreciate if you appreciate it and know their culture. So again, you know, when you go to Italy, I mean, order your cappuccino. I understand it's delicious, but order in the morning. Again, you can order it maybe after lunch, maybe at three, four in the afternoon. Again, with, you know, a piece of cake or something, you can do that. Not with your dinner, please. Otherwise, exactly. I look at you and say, "Oh, that's a tourist." <laughs> yes, and I I like what you just mentioned because I think that people when they travel, you know, they come from America and they're going somewhere and they're just doing everything in an American way. Well, the beauty of yeah. the experience is if you're in Italy, try to live in that moment, try to live like the Italians, so you're getting that full experience. I mean, it's wonderful that you're American, Absolutely. but if you're in Italy try to live like an Italian so you really get the full experience and you're absolutely right is to acknowledge the culture of drinking coffee and that is cappuccino only in the morning or definitely before dinner so I think that's yes. great and that's that's <laughs> fun and that was one thing I wanted to bring out so the my my last question for you is and I, I know that you're also, among all your other achievements, you're CEO yes. of a PR firm. So you have some insight yes. with your fashion and marketing for us on um, coffee because it's such a fashionable thing in, in Europe, especially. So one of the things I've noticed is that in the U.S., before places like Starbucks and some of these other yes. um, coffee places, coffee seemed to be in the U.S. anyway uh, a beverage for people that say we're over 30. Now with mm -hmm. Starbucks, it seems to me like it's becoming something that is also, you know, people 18 and from 18 and over drink. So is it that way? Uh, well, tell me what you think about that. But also in Italy, is it also that way? Is it an older person's drink or just for everybody? Mm -hmm. No, it's for everybody. And actually, if you, uh, I mean, go in a classic Italian family, they'll start to introduce a little bit of coffee, even to their children, honestly, you know, just a little bit, you know, a little sip. There are the children because they'll see, you know, that the parents having, you know, the espresso and say, can I have some? So they'll actually, you know, like it. I, um, I have a little niece. She's here in America. But of course, again, we are a big Italian family. So um, she still didn't, she's only three years old. So she still didn't try the coffee itself, but she loves when we, for instance, we do some cappuccino. So she asks for the cappuccino. So right now it's only milk. But she loves the idea of having, you know, of the foam of the milk. And, you know, she feels like, you know, kind of an adult. So there is that a little bit of, you know, passing the culture of the coffee also to your children. So again, maybe you'll, you'll, you'll pass the coffee itself a little bit later, of course. But like yes. I said, a little bit of a sip, a little bit of, you know, even to your children. So it's something that uh, in Italy we really have uh, since a young age, of course. The, the difference, I would say that here in America, you have all this and I like them. I mean, all those beautiful beverage, like you were, you know, mentioning Starbucks, yes. of course, they have created all the, you know, coffee with, I know, the, the latte, the matcha latte and this and that, you know, we don't yes. have that. We have the espresso. Yes. So that is, of course, uh, a difference, uh, I would say. And, and, and also, of course, that, you know, like I was mentioning at the beginning, you know, the, the long coffee, it's, uh, you know, it's something that maybe has a different um, taste, a different vibe. But again, in, in, in Italy, it's just the, the espresso is something that, you know, you get introduced to since, you know, you are a child, honestly. 
Yes, yes. And the, the one thing I do want to mention to our listeners, I think it's so funny, and you might have heard this too when you're in Italy, but I hear Americans in coffee bars and, you know, they're so used to the lingo of Starbucks, you know, all the different drinks. They think those are the drinks that they have in Italy. So they'll go to no, a no, coffee no, no, bar no. and they ask for a latte. Have you ever heard them ask for a latte? And they don't realize latte means milk in Italian. So they're just going to get course. a cup of milk. Of course, if you're going to latte, they're going to give you a cup of milk. A cup of milk. So I always thought That's that was funny, true. but. Yes. So here's <laughs> and my again, best. like that, like I always say, both cultures are beautiful. I like all the latte, all the stuff. And just like we were saying, you know, if you want to go there, you just you should, you know, learn a little bit. And again, do not order a latte, otherwise you will receive a, you know, big glass of milk. <laughs> exactly. Well, this is, and I, I, that's great. And um, what I wanted to say is, so my very last question, and I, I'm usually yes. using this last question to all my guests on all the podcasts, um, is so tell me, what does food mean to you? So. Food means uh, gathering, it means family, it means uh, when, you know, we have the, the day. To me, it's honestly, food is, uh, of course, it's in general, but to me, it's dinner. It's, you know, that time when the, the day of, of work has, you know, ended and we have the availability to, you know, take maybe 30 minutes of our day and really try to cook something, you know, good. Uh, it also means my garden. It means that I'm trying really to, you know, grow my own vegetables and my own stuff. And this is a, a message that I want to pass, especially right now, you know, in, in this moment. Um, if you have a piece of land, you know, really try with, to do your own spices, even in your balcony, your own, you know, vegetables. It's just so rewarding. And, you know, they taste in a different way. It's very important that we eat healthy that we stay healthy and um so again it, it, it means uh happiness and joy and a nice table with um you know people that just again can enjoy some time together so again is going back to the moment that we are all living right now try as much as you can of course if you have the luck to have a family to enjoy you know the food and the, the family time uh, you know around the food which I, to me it's one of the most important joys in life yes thank you that is so beautiful thank you so much for that simonetta thank you so much and i'm hoping that as as such an influential fashion person i'm hoping that in one of my next upcoming episodes you can uh, i can invite you back and you can give us some more insight into the fashionality of some of the other things that we will be discussing thank you so much for, for being a part of my podcast Oh, thank you for having me. And we have to maybe meet or have some coffee together. Yes, we definitely <laughs> do have to have some coffee together. I can't always have breakfast at my favorite coffee bar in Rome, but sometimes I like to bring back the feeling of being in one of the elegant coffee bars there. You know, sipping a leisurely frothy cappuccino while pulling apart a soft, freshly baked cornetto. Well, I can just taste that in my mind. My favorites are the whole wheat cornetto with honey inside. So good. If you want to create the perfect Rome in the morning staycation, you can make a similar cornetto with pre-made puff pastry that you can buy at any supermarket. Put some jam or Nutella or honey inside. Bake and don't forget to make yourself a cappuccino to accompany that pastry. The easiest way is to get a milk frother. Use your own coffee pot to make some exceptional espresso. Or if you really want a real traditional espresso, get the Italian mocha. You know, the one that you put on your range. Top that espresso with frothy milk and enjoy those two together, cornetto and cappuccino. The only thing you will be missing aside from the genuine pastry and cappuccino is the people watching while you're eating. But hey, if you have your own outside terrazzo, 
or terrace, then eat outside al fresco. At my house, eating outside is so popular, even my fur baby, my little dog, knows what that word means. Hey, let's eat al fresco. Besides, eating al fresco as the perfect ambiance when you're trying to have an authentic Italian meal. We are here today with Philip Dobard. Really excited to have him lending his expertise for our topic today. You know, it's on coffee, but it's also on beverages. Oh, it's good to be here. And wouldn't you know, I'm I'm nursing a mug of coffee. Oh, oh, wow. Lucky <laughs> you. I, I actually just finished mine. So it's like my third or fourth cup of the day. But yes, lucky you. <laughs> and how are things in L.A.? We're, you know, we're here in Philly. What? Things in L.A. Things are wet. It started raining Sunday. It's going to rain through at least tomorrow. Wow. Well, Which, we had snow, so, but go ahead, so yes. Six days of rain. Well, we have snow in the higher elevations. Oh, okay. Yes. Well, we had a, just a little, thank goodness, but... Uh. Okay, well, I guess I'll just start right in and, and maybe you can tell you have, you have a fascinating background in the history and culture of beverages. And so it's such an interesting field. And I wanted you to share with your audience um, what brought you into the world of food and cocktails. Uh, that's a long story, um, but I'll, 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 I'll try to make it quick. Yes. Um, I grew up in New Orleans. Um, in a Creole family uh, whose roots, my, my family arrived from uh, Brittany uh, in the 16th. Um, so we go way back. So Creole, by the definition of pre-purchase, um, those those who, who lived in, in Louisiana before the Louisiana Purchase can be considered Creole. Um, so we were native New Orleanians, um, I mean, truly. So I grew up in a family blessed with fine cooks. Uh, my mother was a wonderful Creole cook. Uh, my paternal grandmother was a, was a wonderful Creole cook. Um, seemingly everyone in my family was um, immersed in the, the business of food and drink in one way or another. Now, my father was an accountant and my mother was a bank manager, um, so they weren't but seemingly uh, everyone else was. Um, my paternal grandmother grew up on a sugar plantation in Acadiana, also known as Cajun country, Southwest Louisiana. Yeah. Um, I had an uncle who was a brewmaster um, at Jackson Brewing Company in New Orleans. I had an uncle uh, who, he, his business was harvesting whatever was in season, brown shrimp, white shrimp, oysters, deer, muskrat, duck, you name it. Um, our freezer uh, was always full of his. Uh, uh, so it wasn't until I was in my 20s and living on my own that I knew what it was to have to pay for seafood. Um, uh -huh. His wife, my, 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 my godmother and aunt, my mother's sister, uh, she farmed soft shell crabs. So we always had soft shell crabs in the freezer. You know how expensive those are. Oh my are. gosh! Yes, uh, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And other family members were 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 engaged in 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 various uh, aspects of uh, the industry. So anyway, but that was not my pursuit. Um, I went into music. I was uh, you know rock and roll. I was uh, uh, you know I had a band in high school and all that sort of thing. And then I discovered opera. I got a degree in voice. I pursued a career as an opera singer with modest yeah. success. Um, um, then graduate school, then producing opera around the country with various companies, and, and wow. then I moved into film and television, which yes. brought me out to Los Angeles uh -huh. um, after I lived around the country. And Liz Williams, who founded the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans in 2008, we had become colleagues at the University of New Orleans years before that. Um, we always said we were going to find a way to work together again at some point. And in 2010, the call came and she said, uh, I want to talk to you about working together again. I said, well, how's this going to work? You're in New Orleans running the Southern Food and Beverage Museum and I'm in Los Angeles working in film and television. She goes, hear me out. <laughs> I want to create a multi-city uh, sort of network of museums um, where we tell the story of food and drink uh, on a regional basis. And so being, you know, a, a well-socialized megalomaniac, um, you know, no pursuit is worth pursuing unless you can be an empire. Um, yes. That sort of thing. 
Um, so we founded the Pacific Food and Beverage Museum brand here in Los Angeles and started mm-hmm. programming under it. Yeah. Five years after that, I think it was 2013, the Museum of the American Cocktail, which had been renting space from the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, um, asked us whether we would be interested in merging. Um, so we took them in. It became one of our collections. Um, and it entered my portfolio as vice president of what became the National Food and Beverage Foundation. So we started programming very intensively in Angeles under the Museum of American Cocktail, cutting to the chase here, as it were. Um, in 2019, we formed the Center for Culinary Culture here in Los Angeles as the parent of what's now called the Cocktail Museum and the Los Angeles Food and Drink Museum, formerly the Pacific Food and mm-hmm. Beverage Museum. So now we're, we're an independent organization New Orleans is still doing their thing, but they have refocused their efforts on on just Southern cuisine. Oh, okay. And and I think it's so interesting, too, because that what you've been talking about and saying is every time any you make making comments about people wanting op- to open the museum and just about the museum, you keep mentioning about telling a story and how food and, you know, the beverages and everything have a culture and a story mm-hmm. to them. And I think that's so important because people take that all for granted. And that that was actually the first thing that I wanted to do when I launched my cookbook series was I just felt that food tells a story and I could just put recipes in it, but I had to put stories that related to the culture. Right. Mm -hmm. And that sounds like exactly, you know, what, what you're recognizing, you know, with these museums, it's really, really interesting. So, well, that, that's really very, very interesting. Can you tell us a little bit about the cocktail museum for those who may not know anything about it or haven't visited yet? Sure. Sure. Let me me start with the parent organization. Uh, Yes. um, Because the, 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 what the cocktail museum does is a, is a more focused version of that. The Center for Culinary Culture tells the story of food and drink through exhibits, educational programming, and a range of media that includes some writing, that includes some uh, video production, etc. Um, so the Cocktail Museum, um, it tells the story of the cocktail and all of its constituent elements, which is to say spirits and mixers. Yes. And we do that again through exhibits, you know, tactile exhibits. Well, we don't we actually don't want people touching them, but you know right. what I'm saying? They're third they're three dimensional. Yes. yes. Um, and are, do you so do you um, have and, exhibits um, that are like stationary that are there all the oh, time yes. kind of like okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, so and, and so how do people find out about like if they want to visit and what type of exhibits is there some place people can go or to find well, out? Yes, indeed. They can go to the web okay. and surf to culinaryculture.center. Culinaryculture. No dot co, no dot net, dot center. Culinaryculture.center. Okay. Now, of course, right now, yes, right now we are in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, we- so uh no one can go anywhere but the internet. Exactly. Uh, and we're, we are in the midst of relocating. We were open in San Pedro uh, for two years as the Pacific Food and Beverage Museum. Um, San Pedro is the southern Los Angeles. And now we are relocating to a, a, a building that's much more centrally located. Oh, okay, great. And yes, you know what? I'm just so used to normal life. So I'm thinking, you know, travel and all that people, where can they go to find you and not, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not sinking in yet that yes, you're absolutely (laughs) right. Right now, people cannot come to visit you. But when things get back to normal, and hopefully it will be soon, we will be all back to normal. That's the way that people can visit or, you know, and, and find out about you by going to tell me that, that URL again, culinary, culinary culture, culinary culture dot center. Okay, great. So people know where to find more info or to Mm -hmm. find out when they're able to visit. And then I wanted to find out you being the expert, what, what, what would be your favorite cocktail? If you had to pick a favorite cocktail, what would that be? Well, my Standard response to that question, which, as you, as you might imagine, is posed to me a lot, um, is <laughs> yeah. as if. <laughs> Why would I limit myself to any one cocktail? That's true. Uh, when there are so many wonderful cocktails out there. The yes. nuanced answer, how is yes. this? Um, 
there are basically three categories of cocktail stirred shaken and built mm -hmm. i have a strong bias a strong palatal bias for the stirred category okay uh often called stirred aromatic no citrus uh -huh. no shaking uh no fizziness um but, are, but are, some people call them adult cocktails because yes. they're much more spiritful oh yes. um, than the gray old-fashioned the manhattan um these are the things that appeal to me yes. uh, more than other things although i although i very much enjoy and appreciate and appreciate and and have studied the history of the others um yeah. stirred aromatic cocktails are my favorite and within that let me say my, my favorite one to prepare is uh -huh. boulevardier uh the boulevardier uh first appeared uh in print in the 1920s um, uh, Erskine Gwynn uh, published a periodical for expats in Paris in the 1920s. And that's where uh -huh. it first appeared. Uh -huh. It's more or less equal parts uh, whiskey, typically American rye whiskey, uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, sweet vermouth, and again, classically, Campari as uh -huh. the Amaro. Uh, I, however, yes. I love I love Campari, but uh -huh. I love experimenting with the Boulevardier and substituting a range of Amari. Uh -huh. um, I think my favorite variation is the what I call the Black Boulevardier, which substitutes Averna. Oh, okay, uh, which Averna, is a, yes. a spacious Sicilian Amaro. Yes. Um, but you know, I like experimenting Amaro Foro, Ramazzotti, Jägermeister. Uh, um, um yes. these things are you know this each one it, 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 we're talking about you know hundreds perhaps thousands of permutations yes um yes. because you can change out the vermouth yes. um you know there are so many wonderful sweet vermouths and dry vermouths uh yes. on the market now i mean they're being made literally all over the world now yes they are and well since the show is i mean we're talking about beverages can you mm -hmm. but i'm i'm focusing a little bit on coffee is there sure. any type of a coffee cocktail that you can tell us about that you think is an interesting one or a delicious one to for people to try sure. or something sure uh full disclosure i'm not a big fan of coffee cocktails okay <laughs> uh <laughs> huge fan of coffee though yes. um and you know, i will enjoy a black russian or an espresso martini yes. i do have a favorite coffee liqueur and it is borghetti uh which is made by fratelli branca the same people yes. who make uh net branca yes um, net branca yes uh, and what's special about borghetti is that it's an espresso liqueur yes um so much richer it's also not terribly sweet yes too many of them are terribly sweet and that yes. that 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 that's a that's a bridge too far for me yes. um another favorite is mr black out of australia uh oh. they're newish like yes. three to five years old i think um yes. excellent excellent stuff but borghetti yeah. is an espresso liqueur that works very well for me i mean there's the irish coffee of course there's yes, the, 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 the typical the most famous coffee cocktail yes. um but i think probably my favorite coffee cocktail although someone argue it's not a cocktail because it's only two ingredients um is cafe corretto oh, um, yes literally corrected coffee yes, uh, so yes. it's a shot of espresso plus a shot of grappa or brandy yes. or or some you know some some anisette um yes, like some yes that's probably my favorite coffee cocktail. your favorite coffee cocktail and it is and i i love your your choices and your preferences you know with the stirred and the cafe corretto because i can i feel this sense of you like kind of the old world you know things mm -hmm. that have a history to them more so than these you know the cocktails that are you know i mean there are a lot of cocktails today that are made with all kinds of you know 50 different ingredients and sure. busy and all this stuff but i like that i think that's you know interesting that's kind of like my take on food i like simple i think is better so but i think that's really interesting yes cafe Coretto. i can remember uh, my grandparents having that you know um after dinner so <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, i can yeah. still smell that anisette like yes play on words you know yes. coffee's fine but we can correct it correct it yes <laughs> we can make yeah. it right <laughs> make it better yes or make it correct exactly make uh -huh. it right exactly so how about as an expert uh, is there any trends that you see in coffee cocktails using coffee in cocktails any trends that you see that we may not be aware of that are up and coming the 70s presented us with a lot of guga 
in cocktails yes. um, and things things in the 90s, you know, with the, with the craft cocktail renaissance, things got stripped back. Yes. Uh, we started learning about the history of cocktails, right? And so things got sort of back to basics. Uh, and these things come in waves, right? Yes. Um, something that's popular and some brand will appear that, you know, that claims to do everything and take it, a, you know, take, to yes. take it another step. And then things get stripped back to basics. Yes. As far as identifying a trend in coffee cocktails, uh-huh. um, <laughs> the trend the trend is back and forth. Yes. Uh, you know, this is one of the reasons I like the espresso martini as much as I do. Uh-huh. You can have it as basic as you want. Just oh, yes. espresso and vodka, a really flavorful, uh, good mouthfeel vodka, really oily mouthfeel. Uh, yes. Or you could do something that's more basic, uh, less characterful vodka uh, mixed with a coffee or espresso liqueur so that that stands out. But you can also, you know, you can also play with it by by using a, a hazelnut vodka or, you know, uh, b- 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 injecting some essence or bitters uh to twist it another play on words um but do you understand where i'm going with yes, that yes i, I uh, exactly you know, exactly yes definitely and it's one basic, question there are thousands of permutations yes with the history of beverages in your expertise do you um have a favorite something you can tell us about um coffee that you know people don't normally think of like some kind of a history in the history of coffee sure so coffee originated in east africa that's the only place in the world where it is indigenous um it was exported to arabian peninsula uh so i think it was first brewed as a beverage in yemen Uh in the 15th century i believe Uh so Uh not that long ago really in the grand scheme of things Yes. In the scheme of, you know, foodstuffs, basic foodstuffs. That's not yes. a long time ago. No, um, no. So, and then the Dutch, the Dutch brought it to North America. And of course, it then was cultivated in Central America and South America, spread to Asia. And, you know, the rest is, the rest is history. The rest is history. And are, are, <laughs> have you heard of this thing going on now where Italy is actually trying to get a trademark on a, Italian espresso? Have you heard about that? No. Oh, yes, they're trying to trademark Italian espresso because, yeah. you know, they feel that it's part of their culture and history. So I just yeah, wanted to know. I, I'm of two minds in these things. Mm-hmm. Um, pride is one thing and and the, 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 the importance of brand is one thing, but protectionism is another. Uh, so I, I really I'm of two minds on that. Um, so I don't know. <laughs> yes. No, I was just wondering, I haven't heard any updates yet and wondering yeah. if you had. So, okay. And, uh, basically what I, you know, my, my blog is about the history of food and travel mm-hmm. and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I saw that, um, you had re- some recent tweets about Japanese spirits and yes, uh, what's drink. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about the drinking culture there. For sure. Sure. Absolutely. Well, Japanese drinking culture goes back many hundreds of years. Most people, when they think of Japanese spirits, think of whiskey, uh-huh. which is a 20th century in the, you know, the, the drinking culture, drinking whiskey in, in Japan and making whiskey in Japan is a is an early 20th century phenomenon. Uh-huh. Um, um, the man who brought it uh, to Japan studied in Edinburgh. He learned to make whiskey in Scotland. He also uh-huh. fell in love with a with a, with, with a lass. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, he married, they married, and he brought her back to Japan. Uh-huh. Um, so that's what became uh, what is now uh, Suntory and other brands, um, uh-huh. other famous Japanese whiskey brands. Uh-huh. Um, so whiskey is new, but shochu and awamori, which are also distilled spirits, mm-hmm. uh, white spirits, go back hundreds of years. They predate whiskey by, by several hundred years. They are distilled from barley, distilled mm-hmm. from rice, distilled from sweet potato, sometimes mm-hmm. a blend of those. Awamori is made only on the island of Okinawa because the, the, the Japanese government has a consul uh, in Los Angeles, <clears throat> the, we've, we've partnered with them to a degree, and now we have access uh, to the makers of uh, shochu and awamori. Oh, wow. So that's because, and they have an office, you're saying, in, uh, in right. Los Angeles. Right. Oh, right. Oh, so that's we've done interesting. programming now with several of the brands. Oh, wow. Uh, 
Now, a lot of people, when they hear me say shochu, they think, oh, yeah, I've had soju. Mm -hmm. No, soju is the Korean spirit. Ah. And it tends to be much lower proof and much more mild uh, than shochu, which is the Japanese. The Japanese. People say, well, is it like sake? No. Yes. Uh (laughs) Sake is is usually largely rice fermented Uh and then brewed, basically. Rice, uh, sake is closer to beer than it is wine. Uh A lot of people rice wine, but it's really rice beer. But then, again, the spirits of Japan, the native spirits of Japan are shochu and awamori. Oh, that's really very interesting. And tell me, because I've never been to Japan, so do Mm. they enter with coffee? So there's probably, they're probably not into that at all. Probably newly so. Uh Uh-huh. With the the global spread of Starbucks and coffee. Ah, yes. That would have been a new thing. Exactly. But that is just, it's not in their culture then. milk and cheese. You know, it's not, you know. Exactly. And they, so they're not. It can be had, but it's it's rarely pursued. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it's, it's not part of, definitely part of, not part of their original culture or history. So, well, that is all really, really interesting. Um, What I always ask my uh, guests is uh, something that I like to know. What does food mean to you? Okay. So food cuisine is a cultural expression. Eat to live. Sure. Because that's the way we're made, but living to eat is much more fun. Yes, (laughs) exactly. Yes. And I think that says it all in, in just that short sentence that you said. Definitely. Definitely. Yes. Well, Philip, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. And as I said, I'm sure, grazie, grazie. <laughs> I'm sure we will be inviting you back for uh, another episode to share your expertise. It's always so interesting. Happy and, to serve. Yes. And Happy hopefully soon I will be able to get out there also and uh, visit. I would love to have you do a presentation. Did you know that according to Inc. Magazine, there are more antioxidants in a cup of coffee than there is in a cup of grape juice? Who would have thought that? For my book, The Basic Art of Coffee, I penned a poem, sort of an homage to my favorite brew. I call it an ode to cappuccino and morning. Don't disturb me. I need to be alone. Oh, so not true. I need to be with you, my splendid cappuccino and cornetto. Thanks for joining me on this segment of the Maria Liberati Show. You can also find me at marialiberati.com and you can find all of the basic art of Italian cooking culinary travel books at Maria.